Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. All right, well, good morning. Man, summer is here, full force. Uh, It is really hot outside. It was a hot, hot weekend. Um, But uh, man, I'm just so grateful to be able to be here with you guys, to worship you, uh, with you, and be with Jesus. And so uh, this morning, we uh, have the great privilege of looking at God's word in the book of Romans. So I want to invite you to open up to the book of Romans, chapter 10. If you've been worshiping with us for a while, you know that we're in this series on Romans. We're looking at Paul's letter Uh, what it has to say for us and how it might encourage us as we seek to follow Jesus, being with him and becoming like him and doing the kinds of things that he has called us to do. And so this morning we're going to continue in that, pick up where we left off uh, two weeks ago in Romans 9. Now we're in Romans 10. And I wanted to read, uh, so Vaughn read for us up to verse 13, and I wanted to pick up in verse 14 right where uh, she left off and just read these two verses. So if you want to look at Romans 10, 14, and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Um, Some of those beautiful and powerful words in the scriptures when it comes to uh, evangelism, uh, sharing this good news uh, of Jesus Christ with the world. And so Paul, he he moves into these amazing words uh, as he's talking about the power of the gospel to save Jew and Gentile. And so he he leads up to this kind of crescendo moment here where he's uh, just talking about believing in Jesus and confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. And then his desire is for the world to know this same Jesus. So here's my question this morning as we kind of get into this chapter. As you hear those words, uh, how then will they call on him who they've not believed? How are they to believe in him who they've not heard? Uh, What does that make you feel when you read these words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 10. I wonder if it makes you feel, uh, it could make you feel grateful. It could make you reflect on the fact that, man, at some point, uh, somewhere, someone took these words to heart and they actually shared the gospel with you. They shared the gospel of Jesus Christ and you received this good news. And so you feel grateful uh, that this has happened in your own life. Maybe as you look at this, you feel a sense uh, of burden, You feel a burden for the people in your life that that don't know Christ, who have yet to believe in him, who have yet to hear about him. And so there's people in your life, your neighbors, uh, your coworkers, your classmates, who you long for them to know this Jesus that we've gathered here today to worship. Uh, Maybe you're here and you're not sure where you stand with Jesus. You're kind of exploring the Christian faith. And so for you, when you read these words, um, for you, it kind of brings up this journey that you're on. Um, as you're investigating Jesus for yourself and what you might believe. Uh, And so all those things might be feelings. I I wonder, though, if there's another feeling that might come up when you read words like these, uh, anywhere you encounter them in the Bible, when you read words that kind of move us in the direction of thinking about evangelism. And I wonder if that emotion might be guilt. I wonder if it might be a little 
tinge of guilt. So for example, maybe you feel a little bit of guilt because uh, you're seeing here, oh, so we're supposed to be telling people about Jesus and maybe I haven't been telling people about Jesus or maybe I've been telling enough people about Jesus or maybe I haven't told anybody about Jesus. Um, and so you might feel this tinge of, of kind of guilt or conviction when you read Paul's words here. Uh, I did as I was preparing for this sermon. I, I felt that a little bit. This past uh, week I was traveling and uh, I was on uh, four different flights. I sat next to four different people on those flights. And uh, I wish I could give you kind of the, you know, you guys have heard these stories. The pastor stands up and he says, I was on a flight and the person next to me, I didn't know him and I started talking to him and started telling them about Jesus. And then actually they came to faith in Jesus. We prayed right there in the aisle, got down on our knees in the plane, prayed. And actually that person's sitting right here today. Would you stand up so you, know, you can see this person that came to faith in Jesus on the plane that I got to sit next to and share Christ. But I don't have that story. I don't have that story because I didn't do that. And so this, this passage made me stop and say, why didn't I talk about Jesus with the four people that I sat next to? Now, there's maybe lots of reasons. Uh, there may be lots of reasons you sit next to somebody on a plane and don't talk to them uh, about Jesus. But I think it begs the question, why not? Why didn't I bring up Jesus in a conversation? Uh, was I avoiding it? Um, was I supposed to talk to them about Jesus? Uh, did I miss something that the Holy Spirit was trying to do? Was I not open to the Holy Spirit? Was I just too darn tired uh, to talk to anybody? I just wanted to put my iPods in and just kind of hang out. Uh, and so I, I think it just it stirs up these questions, and some of, them it's, some of it's guilt, and then I think some of it might just be anxiety. Uh, you know, the, the idea of evangelism, I think, can often just bring up same anxiety. And uh, it could be related to the fact that, man, I just, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid they're going to ask me something that I don't know. Um, what if it's someone that I've known for a long time? What if it's a relationship that uh, gets strained or it, it, it's just awkward with this person? Um, and so there's all kinds of reasons we might not actually take this step of entering into this opportunity to share about Jesus. And so I just wanna look at what Paul has to say here in chapter 10 that I think might help us if we do, if we experience that kind of guilt or anxiety when it comes to the possibility of sharing Jesus with someone else. Because here's the thing, I think, uh, I think what Jesus wants for us is to not have any guilt or any anxiety about this at all. In fact, I think he wants it to be a source of joy and life-giving, and he wants it to flow out of us as easy as it is for us to talk about our own families with somebody or to talk about what we do for a living, um, just to be a natural and joyful privilege. We get to tell somebody or talk to somebody about Jesus, even on an airplane. So to do that, I want to look at Romans and just where, where Paul begins in the chapter uh, that leads him to this place where he can say this. Um, where he begins in the chapter is he begins with this discussion that he's had going on for a couple of chapters now about Israel and about their rejection of Jesus. And so he's talking about what's going on in the life of Israel and the church, this church in Rome, and he's talking about how they've rejected Jesus, but the, the power of the gospel uh, is so powerful that it can overcome even rejection, even rejection unto the fact that Gentiles are now coming to faith in Jesus. And so he holds out this, this picture of hope. 
And it speaks, I think, to his heart, not only for Israel, but for the planet, for everybody to know Jesus. That's his desire, because that's why Jesus has come. And so Paul, he, he, he comes to these beautiful and encouraging words about evangelism, uh, starting in verse 2. So look what he says there. He says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, he's talking about Israel, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So again, in Romans 9, we saw two weeks ago that that Paul says that Israel, despite being zealous for God, and he says this back in chapter 9, they had all the advantages, right? They had every advantage, the law, the covenant, the patriarchs, the temple, on and on. And somehow, even in the midst of that, they missed the point. They missed Jesus and what God was doing in the Messiah. I love how Eugene Peterson translates these uh, verses at the beginning of Romans 10 to kind of highlight what's happened with Israel. He says it this way. He said, believe me, friends, all I want for Israel, this is Paul writing, all I want for Israel is what's best for Israel, salvation and nothing less. I want it with all my heart and I pray to God for it all the time. I readily admit that the Jews are impressively energetic regarding God, but they are doing everything backwards. They don't seem to realize that this comprehensive setting things right that is salvation is God's business and a most flourishing business it is. Right across the street, instead, they have set up their own salvation shops and they're peddling knockoffs. After all these years of refusing to really deal with God on his terms, insisting instead on making their own deals and they have nothing to show for it. So in other words, Israel's taken the wrong approach. They've gotten off track in terms of their relationship with God. Paul says Israel has this passion for God, but not according to knowledge. What does he mean? That they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For Paul, uh, this reality is, is painful because for him, even as Israel has missed it, and even as Israel is zealous for God, they are not open to Jesus. Now, I think just stepping back from this moment in chapter 10 ought to give us real pause when we think about what God is saying here and what Paul is saying here. Ought to give us real pause because what Paul is saying is, look, Israel was not a zeal problem. It wasn't a passion problem. They were passionate about God. They were seeking him. They were after him. And yet, they didn't have knowledge of God. How can that be? How can you be zealous for God and not have knowledge of God? I think for Paul, it simply comes down to this. It's because they didn't have Jesus. Jesus, the fullest expression of the knowledge of God. They didn't understand who he was as the Messiah. And so I think the same thing can kind of happen to us in our own lives. We can, we can be in a situation where we're passionate for God, we're zealous for God and for the things of God, and yet we cannot have knowledge of God in the sense that we can miss Jesus. We can actually miss Jesus. So here's the thing. You can be passionate for God and not know God. You can be a charismatic preacher or church leader and not actually know God. You can be effective in ministry. You can have a mega church. You can have a mega ministry. You can have millions of likes, right, as a follower of Jesus on social media and it have nothing to do with Jesus is the parallel. And I think, again, that ought to give us pause, Paul says that Israel had zeal but not knowledge because ultimately they were ignorant of and had rejected Jesus. 
And so they're trying to be righteous, but in the wrong way. They're trying to be righteous by obeying the law and by resting in their identity as God's covenant people. But they've misunderstood it and they've missed the mark. They thought the law was meant to lead them to life, but it couldn't, could, could lead them to life, but it couldn't give them life. And they had misunderstood that. They thought the law was the ultimate means to righteousness when it was always pointing to and promising Jesus, God's true and perfect righteousness. And so in Romans 1 through 8, Paul thoroughly explains it's only through faith in Jesus that we can be made right with God. But Israel didn't. They didn't submit to him. They didn't allow him to be the source and reason for their righteousness. And again, I think this is a mistake that we can make in the church. We can make the same mistake that Israel makes. Like Israel, we can easily try to find our righteousness or our rightness with God in things other than Jesus, even good and religious we might call them things. And so we can label ourselves Christians and we can try to do good things and obey God and be passionate about God all the while again missing Jesus. And so really what Paul's put in front of us are two ways to live. There's two ways to live being hashed out here. You can say, I can do enough and I can be enough so that God will accept me and that he'll love me. That's one, one way. The other way to live is you can say, I can't do enough and I can never be enough, but that Jesus can. And because of Jesus, God accepts me and loves me. And those are the two ways that are being held up here, I think, in Romans chapter 10. There is life without the Messiah and there's life with the Messiah. And ultimately what Paul is inviting Israel out of and inviting all of us out of is the temptation to, to rest in self as opposed to really rest in Jesus, to avoid taking control of our own lives, uh, to make ourselves right with God and letting Jesus take control of our lives and be our Lord and our Savior. Um, I don't know, have any of you guys seen the new Top Gun? I, I got to see the, the new Top Gun. It's, it's awesome. Uh, it was, it's fantastic. I loved it. Uh, I would love to see it again. Um, but it was funny. It made me go back and watch the original Top Gun, which also was awesome, but made me feel really old because um, I remember when that movie was out when I was a kid. And it, what was interesting, in the, I watched the original, in the opening scene of the original, there's, there's two Navy pilots. If you've never seen it, there's two Navy, Navy pilots, Cougar and Maverick, and they're, they get engaged in this kind of dogfight with these two Soviet fighter jets. And one of the Soviet planes gets a, a jump on Cougar, kind of gets behind him and gets a missile lock on him. And, and, and you kind of see this scene. It's like, is he going to get shot down or not? And then Maverick kind of swoops in at the last second and, and bails him out. And so they avoid, you know, getting shot down. But the whole incident, it, it traumatizes Cougar, you know. And so he, he's trying to fly back and land on the carrier. He can barely get it back uh, on deck safely. And so they flash forward, and a few minutes later, Cougar is in his commander's office. And it's this really poignant moment. He, he takes his wings off, and he sits them on his commander's desk. And he basically is saying, I, I, I'm resigning my, my position. I, I can't do this anymore. And what struck me about that is what he says as he does that. What he says, what I expect him to say is, I can't do this as a pilot because I've lost control. You know, I, I couldn't land the jet. I was jittery. I was nervous. I was having this kind of trauma experience. I can't do this because I can't stay in control. But instead, what he actually says is, I'm holding on too tight. Isn't that interesting? It just stuck with me. I'm holding on too 
tight. And then he says, I've lost the edge. And then he just walks out. And <clears throat> I've thought about that, especially in the context of what Paul's describing here, because I think in a way, what happens is a lot of Christians, we kind of burn out in our walk with Jesus, or we never really kind of get to that place where we feel comfortable in our walk with Jesus with joy and kind of gratitude, because in some ways we're holding on too tight. That's the issue. We're holding on too tight. In other words, we're trying to kind of say yes to Jesus on the one hand and stay in control of everything, not, not allowing ourselves to kind of let go and let God have control. And so just to kind of tease us out, what this looks like and feels like, I think in our lives is, you know, this, this kind of not able to let go and holding on too tight. We can kind of get in this mindset as we're trying to follow Jesus, right? We can get in this mindset where we say, well, if I just avoid this sin, then everything will be okay. If I can just kind of get control over this area of my life, then I'll be in better shape with the Lord. If I can overcome this habit or this addiction, then things will be okay. If I serve harder or I give more or I know more, uh, I pray harder, everything will be okay. And we kind of get locked in this, this way of thinking where we're holding tighter and tighter and tighter until eventually we can't hold on anymore. We lose our edge. And so I think sometimes what happens in that is we just walk away from the faith altogether. Uh, I think more often we end up settling kind of for something less than what God would have for us in this vibrant living relationship with him. We have uh, kind of a, a spiritual walk that's marked by apathy or even powerlessness. And I think sometimes in that moment when we lose faith in God, our, our faith begins to erode because things aren't working out. But I think what really has happened is that we haven't lost our faith in God, we actually have lost our faith in ourselves. We've actually lost our faith in ourselves because what's happened is while we were kind of doing the outward things that said, oh yeah, I'm giving faith, I'm putting faith in God, I'm trying to do the right things, really we were all doing that under our own strength and our own power. We were in control, or at least we thought we were. And then when things challenge that, we have to come face to face with that, that we can't actually do it. And then when we do that, uh, we come face to face with this truth that we've actually become our own functional savior. We're not looking to God anymore. We're just, we're just trying to manage and control everything ourselves, even with a wrapper right, of good religious things. And I, I think all of us experience some measure of this, like in our walk with Jesus. I don't think this is, this is a unique thing. I think this is not just something we experience in seasons, but I think it's almost a daily temptation to avoid this trap of being in control. Paul says in verse three, the temptation is to establish a righteousness of our own and not submit to God's righteousness. The key, in other words, isn't to try harder and to do better. The key, he says, is this word we don't like right there, submit, submit. He says, submit, let go, trust that Jesus can manage your life better than you can. He says it again slightly differently. He says, when we confess Jesus as Lord of our life, he takes over and he does in our life what we cannot do ourselves. To say that Jesus is Lord is a big deal. It's a big deal. It's saying he's in charge. It's making faith about allegiance, not just believing the right things about Jesus. It's why Paul uses the word submission 
It's about coming to the end of ourselves and saying, God, would you, would you help me? Help me to change. Help me to see myself as you see me. Help me to be your beloved child, forgiven, washed in the blood of Jesus, free from sin, created in your image, precious, not a disappointment, but empowered by your spirit to serve you and bring you glory in this life. God, I can't do any of that. Only you can. Would you help me? And so when we submit to Jesus as Lord and we give him power to transform, not just our behavior, it actually transforms our hearts. And he helps us walk in the way of brokenness and dependence on him. He reminds us that our identity is based on what he thinks of us and not on our performance. So here's the thing. I think, again, a lot of us struggle with with this dynamic of, of kind of control versus letting go, of trying to make it happen ourselves versus letting God do this deeper work in our heart. And I, I think this connects for Paul um, with evangelism in this way. I think evangelism has this way of smoking out our pretense. And I think that makes us uncomfortable. I think it has this way of, of revealing that, man, if you're trying to talk to somebody about Jesus, but you're not really connecting to Jesus, people can feel it. You can smell it. It's not sincere. It's not authentic. And so I think, at least in my own life, there have been times where that was true, where I wasn't really connecting with Jesus in my own heart. And yet I'm trying to tell other people about Jesus. And so there's this, this disconnect. And I think we feel that. I think sometimes that's what's underneath a lot of our apprehension and anxiety and guilt about sharing Jesus. But here's the thing. God uh, has made you to actually be a living witness of his grace. And the starting point isn't to have it all figured out and have everything under control and fix all the wrong things in your life so then you can say to the person next to you on the plane, hey, let me tell you, I found the answer. It's Jesus and I've got it all figured out. The opportunity is to actually turn to the person next to you and say, man, how's things going? Here's what's going on in my life. I can't actually do it and I've discovered that I actually need a lot of help in my life, and the person I found that can help me is Jesus in a way that no one else and nothing else ever has. And I can't deal with all my fears and my pain and my doubt, but he can. And I can't get everything right, but he can help me. And even when I get it wrong, Jesus is there for me, and he loves me. And so I'm giving my life to him more and more every day, and it's changed who I am, and it's changed how I live. That's the opportunity. But you can only share that if you've experienced that. You can only share that good news if it's been good news and grace in your own life. And so I think this is what can help us when we think about how we share the good news of Jesus with other people, how we get to that place uh, in verse 14 and 15 in chapter 10. We begin not with finding all the right answers and getting our life together, but by giving our lives over in complete and total surrender to Jesus faith in Jesus, that he loves you and came for you and died for you, and it will do for you what you can never do for yourself to make you new and whole and righteous. When we know Jesus this way, we know more than all the right things to say to somebody. We're free from trying to impress or to convince and can instead share our joy and gratitude for who God is and what he has done through his son, Jesus. So in that way, sharing Jesus in, in verse 14, 15 is coming out of the overflow in other words, of everything Paul has said up to that point, one through eight, chapters one through eight, chapter nine, now chapter 10, because for him, Jesus is everything. And it's his heart for Jesus, his passion for Jesus that moves him uh, to share about uh, his own need for Jesus out of his sin and brokenness, that he has given his life over to Jesus as his Messiah and Lord. 
So Paul wanted Israel to live in Christ, to know real freedom from the power of sin and death. He wanted them to live out of the truth of who they were in Christ. And that's what he wants for us. And that's the gift that we have in Jesus, to let go of the old ways of self-righteousness and give ourselves completely over to Jesus. Let him be our righteousness. And to remind ourselves every day that that is the truth, to walk in joy and gratitude for that. And so that's, that's the invitation, I think, of Romans chapter 10, uh, that we have received this good news of the gospel, of what God has done for us and is doing for us in Jesus, not as good and perfect people who have it all figured out and under control, but as broken, forgiven people living in humble submission to our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for these words um, from chapter 10 of Romans. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you are the God who is our righteousness. And Lord, there's nothing that we could do on our own. Uh, Lord, we've all tried uh, to be in control and to fix things and figure things out, and we can't. Uh, We can't do it, and we need you, Jesus. And Lord, when we turn ourselves over and surrender our lives to you, um, Lord, we actually have something to share. Uh, with others who are broken and living in uh, enslavement to sin. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, remind us of the grace that we have in Jesus, Lord, that we would be overflowed with joy and gratitude for what you've done for us and in us through Christ. And, Lord, that it might give us the heart to share with those who have not heard and to go to those who do not know the great and good news of Jesus Christ. We pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.